0: You're listening to the Design Engineering Podcast, where we explore topics important to Canada's mechanical engineers, product designers, and machine builders. I'm Mike McLeod, editor of Design Engineering Magazine. And in this episode, Dan Anderson, product manager components for Omron Automation, breaks down the technologies involved in predictive maintenance systems and details how these systems reduce unscheduled downtime and MRO costs while optimizing production capacity and labor utilization. But before we jump in, a few words from this episode's sponsor, IGUS. IGUS provides 3D printing filaments and powders designed specifically for motion and wear. IGUS also manufactures plane bearings, linear systems, and cable carriers that are made with innovative self-lubricating injection bolted plastics. Speak to one of their representatives about how they can assist with your application. Visit igus.ca to learn more. That's igus.ca. With that, let's get into the interview. Hi, Dan. Thank you for speaking with me today. Hi, Mike. It's a pleasure to meet you. Happy Monday. Yeah, you too. So if you could take a few minutes and just introduce yourself, uh, who you work for, what uh, what you do there.
1: Sure, absolutely. So uh, my name is uh, Daniel Anderson. I am a uh, product manager here at uh, Omron Industrial Automation. Uh, I specifically focus on what we call our component products, which is kind of pretty much everything that you would find inside of a control panel, right? So that's gonna be uh, power supplies, limit switches, temperature controllers, relays. um, And then one of the other product lines that's kind of new and interesting to us that we're talking about today is predictive maintenance as well. So um, I kind of have a a wide variety of products that I cover and uh, I'd love to talk to you about predictive maintenance today and kind of its value and features and functionality.
0: So what is predictive maintenance? I've heard of reactive maintenance, I've heard of condition monitoring. Does it is it helpful to contrast one against the other or
1: uh... Absolutely. So um I'm actually going to answer that question as part of a larger question and the, the larger question is kind of how is it different from, you know, preventative maintenance or condition monitoring? Just because they're all related and I'll give a little bit of kind of a history and how it's progressed and then how predictive maintenance is kind of the 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 next iteration of that future of of a maintenance strategy. So, um, kind of going back a little bit, you know, as as manufacturing became a thing, right, and we we all started to make products and goods and services that people wanted. You know, typically we would just run equipment until it failed, and then we would either service it or replace it if it was in a you know a serviceable condition. Over time, um, people who manufactured those pieces of equipment would say, okay, you know what we really need to do is we need to service this piece of equipment every six weeks or six months or you know every other year or something like that. They would create a time-based service interval, which is more along the lines of what we would call preventative maintenance, right? And that's gonna vary from pieces of equipment to pieces of equipment, whether it's something that's a low stress or high stress on that equipment and how often it would need to be replaced, right? So we had reactive maintenance, we had preventative maintenance, And now what we're kind of getting into is something called predictive maintenance where instead of just doing service on a frequency of time we're actually attaching sensors to the pieces of equipment and you're getting live data of the condition of that equipment and then doing the analysis of what that live data is and then kind of resulting in a thumbs up or a thumbs down in regards to whether or not that piece of equipment needs to be serviced right so Instead of having just like, all right, you know, it's uh, six weeks, we're going to go look at this particular piece of equipment, you would basically get to a point where you would know when your equipment was needing service because predictive maintenance and it's, you know, equipment that you would be using to implement predictive maintenance would tell you that it's time for your equipment to be serviced based upon condition from those sensors, right? So basically live condition monitoring and the analysis of that data coming from that.
0: So what what's the major benefit here? I it's it seems obvious uh, that that you're so you're not you're not waiting until something breaks or sounds like it's breaking. You're you're saying, are you able to look into the future and say, well, based on conditions that are in the system now and stuff, it's likely that something, I don't know, in a week. Uh, or sure, that's going to go. You're, you're
1: right on the money, right? So, okay. so basically what you're doing is you're getting to a point where you now have live condition data from whatever it is that you're monitoring, right? Whether it's a you know a resistance heater or a three-phase motor, and you're able to monitor certain, I would call it, characteristics of that piece of equipment such that you would be able to form a trend. And from that trend, you could you could notice the change in trend such that it would predict a failure in the in the the relatively near future, right? You can start making assessments of equipment condition based upon that data and more specifically the change in that data, if that makes sense.
0: And this may be a silly question, but this is largely to do with things that rotate bearings, motors. well, it's, fans, it's not pumps. just
1: it's not exclusively things that rotate. Okay. you know that that would be something where you'd be looking at, say, bearing condition, right? If you had something that would rotate, you would be very interested in the condition of the bearing that that would be used in that rotating assembly. But it's really any piece of equipment um, to which there is a predictive maintenance solution to, right? So for example, um, I mentioned that I work for Omron. there's a couple different solutions that we have in terms of, like you said, three-phase motor monitoring, and one of those is, you know, vibration and temperature, which you would use to detect bearing wear. But we also have what we call a current analysis, right? So if you had something where you would be detecting um, a change in the amount of current draw that wasn't uniform, so for example, if you had cavitation in a water pump, You would be able to detect that through the change in the amount of current draw on a three-phase motor. We call that, you know, current abnormality detection, excuse me. Um, And then we also have stuff where you can measure the resistance of a heater that you would use in, say, like industrial kilns or if you're doing a heat treatment process on metal where you've got to have the additional strength for something, say, going inside of an engine and it has to last 200,000 miles. You know we have lots of different solutions for different types of equipment some of them rotate some of them don't right and so it's really going to be like i said specific to the application
0: gotcha a question i've always had like if you're monitoring bearings or motors and there are lots of motors and lots of bearings how does do you do you put sensor sensors or have some kind of apparatus that is added to each one of
1: them So, anytime that you want to measure a piece of equipment, right, no matter what, you're going to have to have some sort of sensor, right? You know, and I'm using sensor on a very general term, right? So, for vibration and temperature, each of those motors to which you want to measure vibration and temperature, each of those motors is going to require a sensor of some sort, right? Whether it's something that you're going to screw into the casing of the motor or if there is a way that you could do that visually, I haven't heard of a solution to that, but in any of those solutions, you're going to have to have some level of sensing on the actual equipment that you're trying to determine condition from, right? There's also a second half of that equation where you have that data that's coming from those sensors. You can then either have the analysis of that data being done you know, on site with like we call a monitoring unit or an analyzer, right? Where it says, hey, I've got this data coming from this equipment and based upon what I've seen in the past, it's changed significantly. So we know that there's a change in trend of that equipment health, right? You can do that locally and say like a control panel that's nearby and there's also some other services where that data can just be sent out to the cloud and, and the analysis can be done remotely and it'll just send you some information back. There's a couple different solutions on how to do it, right? But in any predictive maintenance strategy, there's always going to be a sensor and then the analysis of that data from the sensor to determine actual condition, right? So those are kind of two pieces of the puzzle that are used together. Okay. There are solutions that have the ability to monitor multiple motors, and there are solutions that have the ability to just monitor single motors, right? And so like I said, in every in every scenario, you're going to have a sensor and some sort of device that's going to analyze the data from that sensor to determine its condition.
0: So, do most people who implement a predictive maintenance uh, strategy are they focused on particular components that are prone to wear or weak points that they know have regular problems, or do they try? I mean, it seems it seems uh, onerous to try and instrument everything that rotates or moves in a a machine or a line.
1: So I'm going to, I'm going to take a step back a little bit, and then I'm going to answer that question as part of a, of a larger, what's the point of predictive maintenance answer Sure. where, um, so the number one objective of predictive maintenance is to prevent or reduce unplanned downtime. Right. So, you know, um, I'm making potato chips, right. And in order to make potato chips, I have a conveyor belt and all that stuff. And, and if that conveyor belt fails, and that's one of the key items as part of you know moving the potato chips into the fryer, and I can't get my potato chips into the fryer, I am paying for all the labor that's on site while not producing anything that I sell for a profit. And you know, it's kind of my whole point of running a business, right? So hmm. if you can monitor the condition of the pieces of equipment that are critical to your manufacturing process such that you can prevent uh, unplanned downtime, it's just kind of overall goes towards machine efficiency and making sure your profitability from your your primary manufacturing process remains as high as possible, right? Since that's kind of the whole point why you have a business and and it drives everything beyond that, right? So when your yields are high, your profit is up and everything else kind of cascades downhill from there in regards to your cost structure of running a business from that point. So to kind of come back to your specific question, you know, what do I want to implement predictive maintenance solutions on, is it's basically anything that's going to be a critical component to your manufacturing process, where if it goes down during normal operating hours, that your your machine efficiency drops pretty dramatically, since you have all of those unutilized labor resources that are going to be paid for, whether they're working or not, um, kind of reducing your overall profitability. Right, gotcha. so it's, it's the key components in your manufacturing process, right? So, yeah, if I have a a secondary station over here that can just produce parts, you know, in advance of my primary process, and that fails, but I still have a huge stock left, it's not really going to affect my my primary manufacturing all that much since I have all that stock, right? On the other hand. All the times that I'm making potato chips, right, I always have to have a conveyor belt that's throwing them into the fryer and then something that's pulling them out and then running them over to the bagging station and just to use potato chips as an example, right. Sure. Um, so it's, it's really more along the lines of, of looking at the most critical components in your manufacturing process that are, that must be running at all times when you have labor resources there.
0: And you mentioned a couple of the, the techniques and stuff. I always think of vibration, uh, but there's also, as you mentioned, the uh, the voltage uh, or was it amperage or voltage meter sort of, are there other kinds of conditions that, that can be monitored? That-
1: Absolutely. So you you had referenced vibration and temperature and and really it's, like I said, everybody kind of has their own solution in terms of what they want to monitor. And a lot of it just comes down to, you know, what's been done in the industry to monitor different types of equipment to determine their failure mode before they fail, right? So just to kind of use Omron as a little bit of an example, we have a power supply that has a predictive maintenance remaining lifetime on it, right? And so, you know, it'll kind of give you a live feed of what's going on inside of it. It's got voltage, it's got current output, it's got peak current output. So if something has shorted out in your circuit, or it's drawing more amperage than you would expect it to, you would be able to pinpoint where that's coming from. And then it also kind of has a heads up to say, hey, you're six months away from being, you know, kind of, Uh, beyond the lifespan of this power supply, you should really consider replacing this such that it doesn't fail during normal business hours, something like that. Also, we've got resistance heater monitoring, right? So if you're using a resistance heater in some sort of cooking process, or like I said, an industrial uh, work hardening process for metals where you've got to have strength, we have a product that measures the change in resistance trend over time, so it gives you a little bit of a heads up when something is approaching a failure point, and thus you can change it out on the weekend rather than having it fail Well, product is in the middle of being manufactured and you may end up having to scrap all that product because if it went through the wrong thermal process or didn't mm-hmm. have a controlled thermal profile. You know, you're not gonna be able to use those camshafts inside of an engine if they don't meet specification, right? Or you know, some sort of aerospace application where it must have a strength requirement, must meet a specific strength requirement in order to be a, a sellable product that goes into something that's higher value add.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Lots of different styles and lots of different um, monitoring types in order to, to get equipment condition health.
0: So these are products that have predictive maintenance capabilities built into them such that if they as they are starting to act out of spec, they will warn, they will throw a flag somewhere and say, I'm probably, I don't know, 30 days out from
1: failing. Exactly. And that's, and that's kind of the, uh, a really good point that you bring up is there's about two, there's two different types of predictive maintenance, or should I say two different components inside of predictive maintenance where, you know, we mentioned the sensors being attached to equipment, right? That's just going to be data that's coming out, right? It doesn't know, it doesn't know anything about that data. It just says, here's the data. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just data. And then from that data. Analysis actually has to be done to determine, you know, where was I and where am I now? And what do those two things relative to each other mean? Right.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: um kind of going back to what we were talking about with preventative maintenance, right? Yeah. Previously you had to have an individual walking around a factory taking readings on whatever it is that they're monitoring, whether it's three-phase motors or a power supply or a heater that you know has a change in resistance that you're trying to monitor and measure and then from those measurements over time you would create data points and then those data points need to be analyzed to determine a trend and then you can say as the trend changes you know like for example on that resistance heater you'll notice that the resistance starts to increase you know exponentially over time as it's nearing its failure point it's just not a line it's a and then in the last little bit, it kind of starts to go like a you know hockey stick up in the air, right, mm-hmm. where it's a, a exponential growth. And so um, the the objective of predictive maintenance is to take that data that's coming out and then do the analysis, automate the analysis of that data such that it kind of gives you a thumbs up, thumbs down or, or a go, no go output, right? So you're automating the measurement and analysis process. Of the data coming from that sensor attached to the equipment, right? So it kind of not only does it prevent unplanned downtime, but you're then eliminating skilled labor resources that you would have otherwise needed to use in right. order to maintain this equipment, right? Right.
0: So, so you'd have a combination of data and just sort of. I've been doing this for twenty years, and I know that when when that bearing starts rattling, I'm I'm sure it's not rattling, but I mean, you know, it, it gets into this range of vibration stuff, it's going to go in another couple of days or weeks or something like that. And
1: you really kind of touched on the key point there. I've been doing this for 20 years, right? You know, (laughs) and so and so what we're talking about is we're talking about you know I think I read a statistic a little while ago that said like the average age of a of the maintenance worker was something like 57 years old give or take yeah and then and then obviously a lot of the stresses from the the global pandemic uh, has put a lot of people kind of just retire in advance right and so it's a little bit of an industry where there's a shortage of skilled maintenance labor resources so. You know, if you can take a technology that you were going to use anyway to solve a problem and you can kind of automate it, you know, you're solving a problem that's coming up in the industry that's quite frankly going to be an expensive one if you don't solve, right? If you don't address Mm -hmm. it. And then you kind of take that whole, you know, concern about the global pandemic not having enough people. Now we have lead time issues with products that used to be on the shelf that now have, you know, 2x, 3x, 4x lead times where you thought, you know, when my equipment fails, I'll just order another one and it's it'll be here tomorrow, right? But that's no longer the case. A lot of those pieces of equipment have, you know, lead times that, like I said, double or triple or even quadruple. And so if you can get a little bit of a heads up that you know a piece of equipment is nearing its failure point before it fails, that's all icing on the cake that you have as part of your additional lead time to order a replacement part. So all kind of leads back to, you know, preventing unplanned downtime and minimizing the impact of that through either product loss or additional lead time for replacement parts and, or automating the actual measurement and analysis of that data coming from the equipment. Gotcha.
0: And I imagine manufacturers like to schedule a lot of maintenance tasks all on a particular day or, Instead of doing it piecemeal, we consolidate that all into one window, and
1: yeah, it's going to cost you money like taking it off the line. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. where where you don't have all the people on the line that you know. Like I said, that that you're paying whether you produce a, an item or not, right? And so if you can kind of schedule that for a Saturday or a weekend or or during you know third shift if you're not if you're not running three shifts right during the, yeah. the evening hours, you can. You can basically minimize the impact of any scheduled downtime such that it doesn't become unplanned downtime, right? Yeah,
0: right. So how do these, I mean, if if a system integrator or a machine builder is looking to integrate this kind of thing, it's obviously in the design stage that they're going to have to pinpoint those uh, high wear or maybe, uh, you know, high stress kind of areas that mm-hmm. to, uh, is that is that all handled in a PLC? Is there a separate piece of equipment that usually collects and consolidates and maybe forwards that information off to like an edge computing device that, that does the analysis or sends it up to the cloud to, to have it uh, analyzed off, offline? What's the architecture of these things? Sure.
1: So there's actually many different types of solutions for predictive maintenance, and that's kind of probably where I think a lot of the um, confusion currently comes from in regards to where the technology is at, right? So you can just do predictive maintenance as an ad hoc solution on a single piece of equipment, and that's that, right? You can literally just attach it to the control panel that's part of your, I'm going to use like a CNC machine or some sort of let's call it a you know a, a box of some sort of equipment sure. that's coming out right you can just have that locally and have your monitoring device inside of the control panel with the sensors inside of the product the piece of equipment that you're manufacturing and and that's and that's predictive maintenance right there as a very simple solution right but then you can kind of go above and beyond that where a lot of pieces of predictive maintenance equipment right now or predictive maintenance solutions have the ability to communicate outside of the product itself right the monitoring unit and so Many of them either have a, an RS-485 Modbus output or an Ethernet IP output, right? So, hmm. you know, if you're using RS-485 or Ethernet, you can attach that to a PLC and make it part of a larger system where now the PLC knows the status of equipment health. And you can also schedule it such that when it detects something, right, you can shut something down to prevent further failure or... You know, you can, you can make it so you're notifying your staff that there's a problem with this machine and, and we want to shut this machine down until somebody comes in and says, yes, I recognize that this machine needs service. I don't have the part on hand, so I'm okay with continuing to run it up until I can get the replacement, right? Just an acknowledgement that that a condition has been reached where the machine needs to be serviced. So another nice thing about Ethernet IP on some of these things is, you can even consolidate, you know, maintenance from multiple facilities to a centralized location. Let's say you've got a corporate headquarters somewhere that, uh, you know, wants to be able to run the maintenance on multiple, you know, remote sites, anywhere that has an Ethernet connection. And if our monitoring unit has Ethernet IP output, you can just basically consolidate this into one centralized place and then kind of uh, implement remote maintenance from there, basically scheduling some of this stuff and I always thought it would be cool, you know, if there's like a a manufacturer that sells motors or pumps or anything like that, you know, to be able to then sell like a service plan for that to say, I can remotely monitor the product that I've sold you. And it's just kind of a black box that fits in your factory. And I'm going to tell you when it's time to service it. And I will call and let you know that your pump is in a situation where I need to come in next Tuesday and and uh, you know, you don't even need to do anything other than paying your monthly subscription fee, something of that nature, right?
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, I keep thinking of like uh, Tesla cars. I mean, the telemetry that comes out of them, Tesla collects that data, begins to see trends in. we're seeing, uh, you know, people who drive in this climate and stuff, we're seeing wear or rust or or some kind of performance degradation from the car And maybe that's something we need to look at, kind of beta testing equipment out in the field and potentially changing uh, or modifying the product on the fly. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's possible with Tesla cars and all the computer implementation. But I just wonder, to your point, not only can they monitor for a client, but they could look at and see how is our product failing what are the common things that are happening? How can we make a better motor in the future, such that uh, all this data that we're getting back from all these motors or
1: bearings or whatever yeah. uh, is is what are informing the, what are the our primary next primary contributors to failure? Right. So now yeah. you're kind of talking about big data, right? You know, you're yeah. kind of talking about where. You know, there's like we were saying, there's a couple different um, ways to go about predictive maintenance, right, where, you know, you can do on-site monitoring, right, or you can kind of send all that information up to the cloud as, as a service, you know, and from the cloud, you can kind of get an aggregation of data from multiple sources to say, all right, what we've noticed from X, Y, and Z sources is this, right, you know, there's too much moisture in your environment or, or whatever the determination is from the aggregation of lots of data, right. And so that's, I I think that's kind of where some of the area of predictive maintenance is a little bit confusing is, is, you know, you can view it as a very large project to implement across an entire factory, or you can view it as a single instance of a piece of equipment that you want to monitor just for this one specific piece of equipment. And, you know, you don't necessarily have the scope or the scale where you want to implement it factory wide. Right. And so... There's lots of options. There's lots of different choices of how you want to go about doing it. And everybody kind of offers us something a little bit different. So it's kind of the kind of the market where there's lots of choice right now. And Hmm. um, uh, I think we'll see over the coming years, we'll see see consolidation into somewhere producing, um, I'm sorry, some supplier producing both hardware and software solutions together as a comprehensive solution, right? As a that full scope of everything inside of a factory. I
0: mean, cause I wouldn't imagine it's hard to, I, I think if, if everything's Ethernet IP or if everything's um, like uh, an EtherCAT kind of, uh, there's some industry, I don't wanna call, I don't know if it's a standard, but some kind of understanding of how these things are analyzed, how the data is formatted, how it's transmitted. Yep. Um, is that? <laughs> is there a standard for that? Is it is
1: There's there... not a standard, right? And one okay. of the reasons why there's not a standard is because everybody's doing something different, right? Mm. And so I have seen software solutions that are basically just data aggregators, right? It's it's going to be, you know, we're going to have um, inputs coming from sensors, and we're going to overlay all that information onto a graphical user interface. Uh, the previous company that I that I worked for up in Washington State uh, did just that. They had a manufacturing floor where they were making. You know, uh, pieces for the inside of uh, Boeing aircraft, right? And so they were able to kind of overlay some of that data input onto a great big, you know, user interface graphical screen, and it would kind of give status on each section of this manufacturing line, right? It was it was pretty cool, wow. but you know, they weren't using any sort of um, predictive maintenance on that. It was really more just status, right? And so you know, it's, it's kind of that status. And then you have another layer on top of that, where they're actually taking the input from the sensors and they're doing analysis on it. And they're making determinations on equipment health, right. Such that you can say, all right, this thing, this thing needs to be serviced in six months, right. Or six weeks, or you've reached a point where it needs to be serviced imminently. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Everybody kind of has their own little thing that they're trying to do. And so, you know, you're, you're right. Standardization is all over the place right now, as in there's not really any standards for a software I solution. I see. Okay. And, so, and so, you know, it just it's just kind of a question of how big of a project do you want this to be? Or do you want this to be something where you're monitoring an individual piece of equipment because that's what's most important to you right now. And you can do that on the control panel with the monitoring unit nearby, right? Or you want to connect that up to a laptop that's in the office behind the manufacturing floor, something something of that nature. Gotcha.
0: I've forgotten to ask you, there's a certain amount of trust that builds up. As someone who's been doing that job of maintenance for a long time, they have an internal sense of things. And But how does one know that the analysis is being done? it's not throwing a false positive or overlooking a, a, you know, or throwing a a false negative, like it's missing something. How does, how does the, how does the system begin to learn the peculiarities of a particular installation? I imagine each one is different. They all have different stresses. They all have different speeds and ramp ups and ramp downs stuff. How does that, how does it learn, I guess,
1: how to see real problems as opposed to false? Sure. So, predominantly what I've found across, and you've hit the nail on the head, right? If you're looking at different failure modes, your attributes that you're looking at are going to be different, right? So three phase motor vibration and temperature, pretty easy to see vibration and temperature changing, right? That's, that's, you can easily do that. When you're using a resistance heater, right? You're gonna be looking for change in resistance, but you've got to do that while the heater is on. So you're getting actual readings of what's going on when the heater is in operation, right? or if you're doing insulation resistance measurements, right? You know, it's, you got to be able to make sure that you're getting the correct reading, even though you're using, say, like a lower voltage of 50 volts instead of 500 volts when you're doing a meager insulation test, right? So every different product is looking for a different feature set to make its analysis. And so um, to kind of go back to your your first question, the way that Hmm. many of these products end up working is it's it's taking a reference reading of a variety of readings from the piece of equipment that you're actually monitoring. So in a three-phase motor, vibration and temperature, you take an initial reading of what we call a good motor, right? A motor that's in good condition. And then it takes reference to that initial reading every time that you're using the motor in the future. And so it's able to Reference the current reading relative to the old reading to say my condition over time has changed x amount relative to my initial reading right so it's basically condition monitoring is the way that much of these products work so you're you kind of have to have a good product to start out with or at least Mm -hmm. a product that's not in its failure mode it's not in its failure condition in order for the product to be able to work right because you know we're even talking about three phase motors, every motor is going to feel different. It's going to produce a different vibration profile, you know, based upon its size, based upon where it is mounted to, right? There's so many individual factors involved in the actual monitoring process that to be able to characterize a single motor like this particular motor precisely, it's kind of not possible just because there's too many variables that go into the actual application. And so the way that you go about that is by taking references to the to itself, right, to the motor over time as its condition deteriorates. Gotcha. So same thing like a, with a resistance heater. I, I hate to keep using the same example here, but you know, it's like what you would do is you would see that resistance changing over time. Because unless you know everything there is to know about that particular heater used in that particular application with that particular control strategy, you know, the, the library would be, I'm not going to use the word infinite. It would be huge. It would be Hmm. be gigantic. Right. And so the way to solve that is to basically having, have it take references to its original good condition, right. It's original self of what we know to be a good functioning product.
0: Got it. Gotcha. So does it need, does it need to see a failure? Does it need to be pushed? I mean, does it, does it have to go through a couple of failure to see what patterns look like or does it simply extrapolate extrapolate
1: yeah so uh, from here to here what you're you're asking right in terms of how does it determine failure based upon that strategy or how long till
0: failure right and stuff if if we're here now right how does it predict predict
1: future failure exactly and typically what it is is Even though each motor is different, we, Amron specifically, generally has an understanding of what percentage of change is required before a failure is detected. But we also allow users to define that themselves if they get to a point where they say, no, I know this motor pretty well. I know where it fails. I'd like to increase the change in resistance over time from, you know, 7% to 12%, right? And so it ends up being a defined Change in percentage of whatever it is that you're measuring that we use as a yardstick to say, based upon this deterioration over time, we suspect you've got six more weeks before this product reaches a failure point. Right? It may end up being five. It may end up being eight. But it's it's going to be generally speaking within that um, within that proximity of the of the predicted failure. Gotcha.
0: So as it goes on. As the longer it operates, the smarter it gets, the better it gets at at predicting and
1: yeah. So it has exactly it has more data points to reference, and it's got a more precise trend that it's able to analyze. And then, like I said, it's it's got a predefined. I would call it a, a failure characteristic, right? Where if it's deterioration rate is, you know, increasing at an ever increasing rate, it went from, you know, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1.5%, 1.5%, 3%, 6%, you know, 12. And then you'll see kind of, like I said, that that ending tail that starts to go up right until it fails.
0: Gotcha. So whose software does that kind of machine learning artificial intelligence is that done at the like SCADA level or the PLC level or a much higher sort of cognitive
1: (laughs) so I I, I, you know it's it we're kind of getting back to the the um original I'm not even gonna call it a problem but where we are in the market right now where you know Omron has some software solutions that we provide for free with the specific monitoring products that we have you know um three-phase motor monitoring, three different types, power supply monitoring, insulation resistance, thermal condition monitoring, where you have infrared cameras, right? And so we have a software that that's kind of an ad hoc solution for each of these things. I've seen some other suppliers out there. I know Amazon has a cloud service for, I think it's just for vibration and temperature. I'm not sure if they do anything above and beyond that for motors. Is, is that part and of AWS I've also,
0: or something? Sorry.
1: Yeah, something like that. Gotcha. Um, and then I've seen some other suppliers out there as well that just do the software side. They don't have any hardware solutions. And so, you know, you kind of have... You kind of have the hardware people, you have the software people, and there's not a lot of overlap right now of the people who do both hardware and software. And when I say software, I'm more talking about like comprehensive software that's going to have multiple inputs from multiple different types of sensors on equipment that'll do all the analysis of all those different types of equipment and then produce out, you know, a a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Um, for the condition health of each of those pieces of equipment.
0: Gotcha. So is the interoperability of these different monitoring solutions such that they're somewhat hardware agnostic? Like it, uh, a vibration from a three-phase motor is... Who, who, whoever makes it is... It doesn't matter. It's It's really just... As long as it produces the right kind of data to f- fit in that software, mo- that machine learning software model, that it's going to understand it, no matter where it comes from, is that?
1: I would say um, we're, we're back to the the original um, okay. response of it depends on what you're trying to monitor, right? Okay. So for for three phase motors, they're pretty darn common, right? And so I would say for three phase motor monitoring a lot of that stuff is going to be relatively well known and um, known to the industry, right? So for the most part, I think that you could interchange the hardware or at least it's close enough where you'd be able to kind of bias the data such that it would work across the board on, on multiple software solutions. Predictive maintenance is still kind of in its infancy, and so some of the other products where, you know, you're doing thermal infrared monitoring of, of, uh, you know, field of view of looking at multiple things, that's going to be different, right? It's going to be different than, say, three-phase motor monitoring or resistance heater monitoring or power supply monitoring, and so it really just depends on what we're talking about. Something as common as a three-phase motor, yeah, I'd say we're, we're, we're we're pretty close where... You know, I couldn't guarantee interoperability between you know my products and somebody else's products. But if you shoved all that into a commonized uh, software system that did all this, I think you could get to a point where you'd be able to make determinations on vibration and temperature data relatively accurately. I'm not sure I'd be able to say that same statement for some of the other predictive maintenance products out there because some of them have proprietary methods on how they're doing the analysis on it. And, you know, somebody who writes software is probably not going to be a resistance heater expert or, you know, a power supply lifetime specialist expert or something like that, where they, where they'd be able to interpret, interpolate that data uh, to predict a failure from the raw data itself.
0: Gotcha. Are there certain protocols that are used to transmit this kind of data say, if it's offsite, if it's an AWS, or if it's, if it's uh, an edge computing kind of a thing, is this like an MQ key? MQTT or a, or an uh, um, um, uh, oh, of it, OPC UA kind of thing, or is it is it more the field bus kind of uh, Ethernet uh, IP or or um, EtherCAT or Profinet? Is it is it is that the the protocol level that that this kind of data is trans transmitted?
1: Yeah. So the two most common communication protocols that at least I've come across are going to be, you know, Modbus, RS four eighty five, and then the other mm. one's Ethernet IP. Gotcha. I haven't seen much in terms of EtherCAT. If I if I remember correctly, and I'm I'm a little bit out of my element here in terms of my um, product knowledge, but I thought EtherCAT was more kind of focused on um, precision of timing across yeah, yeah, the network in yeah. terms of events. And so, you know, when you're just kind of um, shooting out data over time to monitor, right, the The um, synchronization of that data is less important, if you know what I mean. And so Ethernet IP seems to be kind of more more, uh, the right protocol for that. Some of the products out there are kind of meant for purely just being retrofitted to existing older equipment where you're not going to be going too much beyond that piece of equipment. And in those instances, RS-485 is more appropriate just because it's kind of a lower complexity and it's easier just in terms of its... I guess I would call it simplistic functionality. So, you know, you'd be hooking that up to a PLC that was going to be in close proximity to it. And, uh, you know, you're not you're not looking to do, I would say remote monitoring on the other side of the country. That's more suited for Ethernet IP where you're just plugging it into the internet and, you know, getting some sort of a live feed from it. And you'd be able to then make assessments or set alarms and thresholds and whatnot. So,
0: gotcha. Okay. So uh, where where do you typically recommend that, if is this is this something that happens at the design stage, or is it something that typically happens in an existing uh, installation? Uh, well, I mean, we, I suppose it could be both. But uh, where do you find that most of it is being implemented at the moment?
1: Sure. So um, right now, and again, we're kind of in the beginning stages, or right? I'd say we're still in the infancy of predictive maintenance. Right now, a lot of the a lot of the conversation is being had on kind of the existing equipment that's out in the field for retrofit. Um, but that conversation is moving further towards the OEMs, right, the people who are actually going to be building the equipment, right? So, you know, we are, we were having a conversation with a CNC equipment manufacturer about monitoring the insulation resistance of his servo motors, and I'm like, that's a great idea, right? And we have a product that can monitor up to eight at a time, and so it's a very nice way to be able to integrate that as a, as a service that you can offer your customers. The only drawback, if you will, is obviously you know somebody who's going to be making a piece of equipment, if they buy a predictive maintenance solution and install it during the actual design process, then they're gonna to have to justify that or sell that feature, that value to their customer. And of course it raises the price of their product. And so you know there's a lot of things out there that clearly justify their value. If your machine breaks as a result of a breakdown in insulation resistance, and I have a solution that's going to be able to tell you when that's coming, right? That's obviously something that you would pay an extra, I'm just making a number up here, an extra two grand on when you're spending $110,000 on a you know a piece of equipment, right? Sure. But it's just kind of a value proposition that needs to be analyzed and to determine whether or not their customer base that they're selling their product to thinks that that's justified, right? So that's kind of the the machine builder, right? Somebody who's going to be making the equipment versus yeah. the people who already have the equipment installed in their facility. And they want to be able to retrofit that just to be able to say that they can maintain all the equipment in their facility and they're automating that individual space that they've got.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So if it's an existing thing, where do you, where do you typically um, recommend that people start with if they're right and I mean obviously they you know, we can go crazy big
1: with this, you sure right, can stuff, right. but exactly
0: but it but in a but in a I'm just i'm tip I'm dipping my toe in the water where do I where do I begin typically
1: absolutely so um we kind of discussed this a little bit earlier where you know it's like we'll define what you want to do right do you want to just monitor the condition of one piece of equipment or do you want to to scale this across your entire factory right i think those are the the, the first questions you should be asking is what's the scope of what you're looking to do and why, right? Is it, are you having a problem with your manufacturing process and you wanna you know, eliminate that as a contributor to um, reduction in machine efficiency, or you know, is, this a, is this kind of a, a huge um, you know, manufacturing facility wide strategy of predictive maintenance, right? So I think that's the first question that people should be asking themselves. And then, of course, beyond that is to research what actually exists in terms of solutions, right? In terms of predictive maintenance. So, you know, um, that's kind of for an individual factory. If you're a machine builder and you want to implement predictive maintenance solution, right? You know, so I, the first question I would ask myself is, what do my customers value, right? What are they going to pay for if I add this additional feature to my product, you know? And it prevents my product from failing. How much is that worth to me? How much is that worth to my customers? And what's the price premium that I can charge for it if a customer is buying my $150,000 machine or whatever your your machine is, right? Mm -hmm. And as we kind of mentioned a little bit before, if you're like a, you know, if you're a seller of three-phase motors, I always thought it'd just be the coolest thing to be able to to sell a motor and then sell a service plan on top of it to have some residual revenue and then Somebody's got a factory. Basically, just says, "Here's just this black box that's a three-phase motor, and it just works." And when it doesn't work, the guy calls me and says, "I'm going to be there in a week, and you know, I'll replace it, or I'll service it, or I'll do whatever." Right? Yeah, be a really cool way to just kind of automate a portion of the factory in terms of its maintenance.
0: Sure, and you could i, I can imagine that at the machine builder, system integrator kind of level too, right? And stuff, and just mm-hmm. getting telemetry back from, especially if they make like a standard unit, whatever that might be. And just seeing, getting that telemetry back, and getting a sense of when, what is it about their machine that's breaking, and uh, what do they need to to fix, or maybe improving upon, um, you know, we 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 find that this particular supplier of a part that we put in is not as reliable as we thought it was, so we're going to retrofit it, you know, retrofit mm-hmm. them, or or not do use those yeah, in the in the future.
1: Manufacturer of a particular product.
0: Sure, sure. Is there anything else that you think is important that we we didn't get to, or that that uh, that comes to mind that I didn't know? Hmm.
1: So you know, uh, I guess what I would say is, you know, we're we're still in the beginning phases of where predictive maintenance is as a as a technology, right? And you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of talk of kind of lights out manufacturing and in Industry 4.0. It'll be really exciting to see how some of these solutions play out and some of the hardware gets integrated with the software or, you know, as we said, if, you know, you can offer service plans with the, the products mm. that you're now selling, right? I thought that that would be a really interesting way to generate more revenue and then also offer value to the customer since, you know, ultimately, as I kind of see it, I, I feel like we're going to be a little bit short on our, our maintenance resources in terms of, uh, you know, local manufacturing here in the United States for some time to come. And so I think automation of uh, many of these pieces of equipment, automation of the uh, maintenance of many of these pieces of equipment is going to be paramount, right, as you continue to try and, you know, get maximum profitability out of manufacturing here in the United States and, you and, uh, yeah. Good way to do it right to basically kind of turn the machines to monitor themselves and then they'll just give you an output that says it's time right it's time for me to be serviced I've noticed that my condition has deteriorated and I need your assistance to make sure that I don't fail well you guys are producing products so you don't lose any you know work in process or have unplanned downtime uh, at a time where you need to maximize every dollar coming out of your factory.
0: Well thank you I appreciate it Dan it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks a lot Mike. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the Design Engineering Podcast's other episodes at www.design-engineering.com slash podcasts, or subscribe to the podcast via the major streaming services, including Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And finally, this episode was brought to you by IGUS Canada, a manufacturer of self-lubricating high-performance plastics. These plastics are used in their 3D filaments and powders, plain bearings, linear systems, and cable carriers. Their parts are clean, hygienic, long-lasting, as well as appropriate for high-duty applications. Visit igus.ca to find out more or to chat with one of their experts.